Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Thursday, the 3rd of December. We are brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. What's a VPN? A VPN allows you to change your location online. So say you're in the UK or Ireland and you want to use American Netflix, you simply open the Liberty Shield VPN, set your location to America, and you get instant access to American Netflix. It's as easy as that. A VPN will also keep your data safe online, which is crucial in the world right now. So check out LibertyShield.com. Use my code EPLVPN. You'll get 20% off at checkout. They've got hardware where you can get a little router thing with the VPN already installed on it. Or you can just get a software package, which is, you know, just you just download it on your on your computer. It's handy as that. You get 20% off with the code EPLVPN. You can't go wrong. They do give a free trial, so check that out if you if you feel like you're not 100% sure you want to commit, but you want to check it out. Right, uh, today is Thursday, obviously, so that is Twitter Thursday. But before we do, I had a little bit of a, a back and forth again yesterday on Twitter, uh, this time with some Leeds United fans uh, who got a little bit salty. So, basically, somebody tweeted... Um, there's a rumor going around that Liverpool have interest in Calvin Phillips, and Leeds fans are, of course, up in arms that there's no way he would leave, and yada, yada, yada. So, some Leeds fan gave six reasons why, um, Phillips would want to stay, and basically said, You can't give me six reasons as to why he would want to leave. So, his reasoning was, He lives where he grew up. Plays for a team he's supported since he was small. Loved by the fans who love him back. He's playing for his country. Promising future under a world-respected coach. And playing for his club. And then he said, give me six different reasons why he should leave. So, I said, I genuinely hope he stays because I love watching him under Bielsa. But, at Liverpool, he gets Champions League football. That's a fact. He's not going to get that at Leeds, certainly not anytime soon. He will get it every year at Liverpool. The chance to play under Jurgen Klopp. I don't think there's too many managers in world football that are a bigger draw to players than Jurgen Klopp. And as big a draw as Bielsa is, he's not on Klopp's level. The opportunity to play with world-class players. With the greatest of respect to Leeds United squad, there are no world-class players in it. There's a bunch of them at Liverpool. So if Phillips wants to play with a higher calibre of player and test himself and improve playing with those world-class players, Liverpool's a pretty good option for him. A better chance to establish himself as a first choice for England. It's just a blatant fact that players at top six clubs, big six clubs, get preferential t- treatment in the national team and often get picked over better players who are playing at non-big six clubs. We have seen Fairly average players from big six clubs become regulars for England and other national teams ahead of better players at smaller clubs. So Phillips would have a better opportunity. In my opinion, Phillips is a better player than Declan Rice. They play the same position, holding midfield. They can both play centre-back. Phillips, defensively for me, is more switched on, more developed, and he's a lot better on the ball. I mean, it's not even close on the ball. But off the ball as well, I do think Phillips is better. Now, Rice might be slightly more suited to playing in a in midfield too, which is what um, Gareth Southgate seems to like. But Phillips is a better player than Rice. And 
I think if he joined a top six club, he would be... I know Declan Rice is not at a big six club, but Declan Rice is going to go to Chelsea at some point. That is just a matter of when. Um, but I think Phillips, if he was to join a Liverpool or a Manchester United or an Arsenal, I think he would establish himself as first choice for England. I don't think there's a doubt in that. Um, the chance to win titles. Again, with no no disrespect meant to Leeds, they're not going to win a Champions League or a Premier League anytime soon. At Liverpool, he'll compete for those things every year for the next couple of years anyway. And then number six, big bags of money. It's just a fact that Liverpool pay much higher wages than Leeds United. There's probably 10 or 12 players at Liverpool who earn more than the highest earner at Leeds. Now, I'm not saying any of those individually would motivate Calvin Phillips to leave. Not at all. I'm not suggesting he wants to leave. The guy merely asked for six reasons why he might, and I gave him six. And Leeds fans got very upset about this and said that anyone who'd watched the uh, Take Us Home documentary understood that Phillips would never leave. Really? The documentary series shows you what the club wants you to see. Don't think they didn't have veto over certain things. And Phillips is not going to put it out there that he might ever consider leaving either. I think he's a tremendous player. He's one of my favourite players to watch in the league. He's super important to that Leeds team. You can The difference in that team with and without him is night and day. I really want him to stay. I really want Leeds to build and become a contender again, even if not for the title, at least for Europa League. If they could be contending for, you know, sixth or seventh every year, that'd be great. And I want to see them build around players like Phillips, but to say that he'll never leave is just is just silly. It's just silly. If he gets the right offer at the right time, it may well turn his head. Aston Villa fans can make all the same arguments about Jack Grealish as Leeds fans can make about um, Phillips. And I can make the exact same argument for Grealish as to why he might want to leave. Better chance of establishing himself for England. Big bags of money. Chance to win titles. Chance to play with world-class players. Chance to play under a world-class manager. Champions League football. And Grealish is just as tied to Villa as Phillips is to Leeds. Maybe more so. Because Grealish could have left a couple of years ago when they got relegated. And he didn't. He stayed. He went down with them. He stayed down with them. And he brought them back up. So... You know, I think Villa fans mostly accept that at some point he will leave. Now, I think there's ludicrous fees been thrown around for Grealish, but I do think they accept that he will leave. Phillips will leave as well at some point. If he has real ambition, he will leave. Because players who want to win things will not stay at a club where they can't win things. Um. Anyway, on to uh, to Twitter, on to our questions. The first question is from uh, is from Mike, at Mike underscore Shadrick, who says, um, Sam McGuire, our good friend Sam McGuire, who writes for AnfieldIndex.com and has a newsletter called Marginal Pains, do check that out, uh, has written a series of articles about replacements for Ginny Wijnaldum, and the three are Dennis Zakaria, Yves Basima, and Yuri Tielemans. Who would you prefer of the three? Of those three, I think I'd prefer Tielemans um, as an all-round footballer. I've always been a fan of Yuri Tielemans since he broke through at Anderlecht. I think he's got the most attacking upside. I think the potential he has to be one of the best midfielders in the world is is clear. Uh, I, I really like Dennis Zakaria, who is massively underrated at, at Mönchengladbach. Um, and I do like Yves Basima. I really do. I I'm not sure Basima suits playing that Wijnaldum role. I think he's more suited to playing in a midfield two. Uh, now, Liverpool may well move to a midfield two, but I, I don't know what the fit would be like with him and Fabinho. But as a squad player, I'd absolutely be highly in favour of Yves Basima. Uh, Dennis Zakaria would be would be high on my list. He definitely would. He's, he's such a good player. Of the three, Yuri Tielemans is... Is, is the one I would want, though. Because I think he's got the highest upside, the most potential, 
he's also quite versatile, can play as a centre midfielder or an attacking midfielder. Uh, one name I would throw into the mix is Zambo Anguisa from Fulham. I've mentioned him before for, for Manchester United, but I actually think he'd be a really good fit for Liverpool uh, next to Fabinho in that in that Wijnaldum role. He is excellent defensively. He's insanely good at carrying the ball. Super strong player. Needs to work a little bit on his ball retention, but I think in a team like Liverpool, that would automatically come because at, at Fulham, he's often asked, to force things and try and make things happen because it just isn't the natural creativity that you would want that you would find at Liverpool with a team like Trent Alexander-Arnold and and Andy Robertson. Um, I haven't seen any of the other questions. I asked this this morning about 5am. So there's 28 replies to my question. Um, first question, Lee Cox asks, it is almost 20 years since the idea of the Dublin Dons was first mooted. If it had happened, how successful do you think it would have been in terms of the Premier League? And what impact would it have had on the Irish League and national team? Yeah, so this is when Wimbledon, uh, owned at the time by Sam Haman, were trying to find a new stadium. They'd been sharing Selhurst Park for a number of years because Plough Lane wasn't uh, wasn't up to, to code. And Sam didn't want to pay for a new stadium. He wanted someone to really build him a new stadium because he's cheap. Um... And, and Wimbledon considered moving to Dublin. And I, I remember being really excited about it at the time uh, because, you know, the idea of having Premier League football in Ireland every week was was huge. Um, I think it could have worked. I really do think it could have worked. Yes, it would have logistically made things a little bit more difficult for Premier League clubs because every one of them would have had to fly over for the game. Look, a lot of clubs, you know, a lot of clubs based in London fly to Newcastle and Newcastle fly down and things like that. So, you know, they're used to taking flights, but this would have been every single game. Teams would have had to fly over for them and they would have had to fly to all their away games. Um, so logistically, it would have been a little bit of a pain, but every game, I think, would have been sold out. Irish fans get on board with stuff like this. And I think every game would have been sold out. I think it could have had a positive effect on the national team because I think it might have drawn more eyeballs and more young kids to the sport. And I think as well as that, you could have seen them establish a number of academies throughout Ireland. Because for me, that's the first thing I'd do. If I was moving a Premier League club to Dublin, I would establish an academy in Dublin, an academy in Galway, an academy in Cork, and an academy in Belfast. And I'd be like, right, just go and find all the best young players in this country and we're going to stockpile them. Um... So I do think it could have been an opportunity for more young players to get involved in the game. Because you have to remember here, obviously rugby is massively popular. Huge amounts of kids play rugby every weekend. And then a national sports game like in hurling, massively popular. Hurling, not so much. Hurling is, is kind of specific to certain counties. But Gaelic is, I mean, I mean, I'm not sure it's been as popular as it is now in my lifetime. Um... I think it could have drawn a lot more kids into the game. And I think that could have had a positive effect on the national team. Because what happens with our young players is a lot of them, they leave to go abroad early. And they, they'll often take the wrong move. Like they'll go to a League One club. When in truth, they would be better off staying and playing for Shamrock Rovers or Bohemians or St. Pat's or Bray or whoever. Or, you know, Galway, but they'll take that offer to go to a League One or League Two team. And if it doesn't work out there and they're not getting the type of coaching they require, they're not getting the support they require, they don't have their families around them, it, that can just end a lot of kids' careers really early. 17, 18, they're out of the game. We see now a lot of Irish kids that went to England when they were 15, 16 are getting released at 18, 19, coming back and playing in the in our own leagues. So I think it could have had a positive effect from that regard. In terms of what what it would have done to the um, to the Irish League, that's where it may have had a slightly negative effect because it may have drawn some of the crowd away from the Dublin clubs, Shelburne, St. Pat's, Bohemians, Shamrock Rovers. Now those clubs all have incredible fan bases but 
they also get a lot of fringe fans. They get a lot of floaters is, is an unfortunate word to use here, but people who just love football and don't have a real allegiance to any of the clubs and will go to see any of them play if they're at home on the right night and that person has nothing to do, well, that person might instead buy a season ticket to see the Dublin Dons play, and that takes away eyeballs from our National League. And Again, they would be cherry-picking the best young players, so that could have a negative effect. We see, like, Shamrock Rovers obviously had that goalkeeper that they sold to Manchester City a couple of years ago for, like, half a million. That half a million helps run Shamrock Rovers for a substantial period of time. Without that kind of money, they will struggle. Now, whoever was running Wimbledon or whatever they would have been called playing in Dublin could have sat down with them and with with the League of Ireland clubs and, and come to some sort of agreement in terms of a sharing of talent or you know a, creating a pathway for players to to progress in the game. Um, so I think for the Premier League, I think it, it would have worked. It would have been slightly difficult to pull off but I do think it would have worked I think it would have helped the national team I mean again my own view on our national team is that we need we should have centers of excellence in around the country in the four places I mentioned maybe you don't put one in Belfast because that might be seen as encroachment onto the Northern Ireland's territory but of course people from Northern Ireland are entitled to claim a, a Republic of Ireland passport and play for our national team but maybe you put it then in Cavan. You know, you put it in Monaghan, right on the border. You can put it in Donegal, wherever you want. But if you had three or four centres of excellence around the country where you could get the elite young talent and bring them into training programmes to develop them from an early age where they're getting high-level coaching and it's not all centralised to Dublin because there are a number of kids in this country who would be playing in our schoolboys team etc but they don't want to travel to Dublin for training and they don't want to have to continually go to Dublin um, to be involved so if there was avenues for them to be involved closer to home they would take that and maybe they wouldn't be as tied to Gaelic football or to hurling or to rugby or whatever um, the Dublin Don, that is a that is a great one I, I love that Gautam, uh, I've, I've Butchered your name, mate. Gautam LFC, at Gautam LFC. Tactically speaking, who is the worst manager in the Premier League? Um, I think it's Scott Parker. I think it's Scott Parker. I do. I think Ollie is, is poor tactically unless he has a couple of weeks to plan. And if he has that time to plan, he can be quite effective. I think Frank is, is kind of the same. Uh, Leeds against Chelsea this weekend, the the Bielsa Lampard um, reunion. You know, the if, for those that that didn't see, go and Google Bielsa Lampard press conference, where Bielsa gives a, a complete tactical breakdown of of uh, Lampard's Derby County team at the time. Well worth a watch, but um, uh, yeah, it, it kind of showed that Lampard at least does have some tactical chops. I think it's Scott Parker. Personally, I do think it's Scott Parker. Um, Bernadette Strickland. Uh, how impressed were you with Ollie's managerial skills last night at not substituting, not substituting Fred? And I still still suspect Liverpool to win the league. Do you think this? And do you think uh, Man City are the main rivals for the title? I think City and Spurs are the two main rivals. Without doubt, I think it's those two. I think Spurs need to be taken seriously. Um, but yeah, I still do think Liverpool will win the league this year. Um, as for Oli, I mean, that is, that's one of the worst managerial decisions I've seen in a long time. It, it, he should have been sent off in the first half. He put his forehead into the, into the guy. He should have been sent off. Uh, he gets a yellow card. He is clearly, clearly out of control. His teammates are having to tell him to calm down multiple times. I think about 95% of managers take him off at halftime just because he's a, he's a definite red card. There's no question he's a red card. 
he goes out in the second half, he continues to kick people. It's a it's a damning indictment of Paul Pogba that Ollie would rather risk Fred staying on than bring on Paul Pogba. Um yeah, it's a shocker of a decision. It really is a shocker decision. And it costs United the game because the PSG were awful last night. Neymar had moments of brilliance. Um, Mbappe had a couple of moments where he really did make you sit back and go, wow. Like, that's why everybody wants this guy. That this kid is really, really special, but he wasn't anywhere close to his best. And I think United could easily have taken a draw or even gotten the win there if they'd had 11 players on the pitch for the full game. But Oli cost them. And, and look, they go into next week. They need to beat Leipzig in Leipzig. Or they need, sorry, they need a draw in Leipzig to go through. And I wouldn't be all that sure they'll get it. Now, Oli, like I said earlier, he'll have that time to, to get ready. He'll have that time to prepare and put a tactical plan together. But Leipzig are going to be up for that game. You know they're going to be up for that game. Um, knowing that they... You know they need the win as well themselves to get through. I think I think Ollie is. I think you might have, you might have screwed the pooch a little bit here. Um, Michael von Herf at von Herf. Who's the first name on the team sheet for the worst Liverpool eleven in the FSG era? Must have played. Must have started at least once in the Premier League era. Um, there's a lot. <laughs> I mean, everybody expects me to say Lovren. And he's right up there. Uh, John Flanagan would be another one right up there. Um, the worst player. Oh, I think. Let me just check and make sure that this man did make a start. And I don't mean to disrespect and besmirch his name, but it is Connor Randall. Three starts in the Premier League in the 15-16 season. Yeah, it's Connor Randall. It just is. It's unfortunate. He's a good, honest pro, uh, currently playing for Ross County after a year in the Bulgarian League, which I think is really cool. I think more players should take the opportunity to go and play in other countries and experience other cultures. So Connor Randall... um, was released by Liverpool in 2019 and went to play in Bulgaria. That is mental. I had no idea. Uh, now back playing with Ross County um, in the Scottish Premiership. So, you know, playing at a solid level. Yeah, I, I think it's Conor Rand. I have to say. Slightly above John Flanagan um, and Dejan, I think, would come in a solid third. Dejan is the worst, though, because he played so many times. So let's not be... Let's not get that one twisted. It is the pebble. Um, Phil perspective. Do you think Liverpool would buy any centre-halves in the winter window? And if so, who do you think? I do think they will. If I had to bet, I would bet on one of Quebec or Schurz. I don't think either are ideal. I think both are very, very good. Huge prospects, but neither are really first-team ready for Liverpool. Um, we are doing a transfer committee pod on Anfield Index Pro in the next couple of weeks. Myself, Dan Kennett, Gags Tandon, and Mo Chatra. So do check that out when it comes out. I'll have a list of five. Um, I'm trying to avoid those those two in particular um, and put, put together five other proposals um, who I think would be, would be better fits. Um, footy Scribblers. Uh, your opinion on the Brexit changes to football? I already have mine. And I'm struggling to be convinced the positives outweigh the negatives. I I don't think you can be convinced otherwise. Uh, I think the negatives are more prevalent than the positives. Um, one thing actually, yesterday there was a report from one of the papers when I did the gossip roundup about Ollie and how he wouldn't have been qualified for the United job. Apparently, the reasoning behind that was nothing to do with residency or anything like that. It was basically, for a Premier League club to appoint a foreign manager, they will have to have managed in one of the the 33 top-ranked leagues in the world for like three of the previous five years, and the Norwegian League is not one of those leagues, so Oli wouldn't have counted 
having been at Mulder. So, um, yeah, Ollie wouldn't have been able to get the United job. But, that, I mean, that's a, it's a silly rule. It really is. Now, there are times when you do want to see British managers get, you know, more of an opportunity. And we see some foreign coaches come into the country who clearly, I mean, Watford cycled through a bunch of them and, you just you look at him, you go, you're not going to work there. You just you're just not going to work there. And they last six months and they're out the door. And there's a you know Nottingham Forest have been through 43 managers, and there's a bunch of other clubs that just continually appointed managers who aren't qualified to work in, in the league they've been appointed into. And they last you know 15, 20 games and they're out the door. And you get somebody else in. It's just a continued cycle of nonsense. But um. If for that regard, I, I do think it's good. Elite managers won't really be affected because they'll have been managing in top clubs and in top leagues, and most Premier League clubs will just, you know, will work among those thirty-three leagues that are been designated. Um, some people have said Bielsa wouldn't classify, but he would uh, because, I, I, from my reading of it, if managed a national team for a certain period of time. Uh, a, a top-ranked national team, you know that that's kind of a waiver, and Bielsa would qualify through that. But um, it is it that one's a bit weird. The rules around registering players and how you can't sign uh, players under the age of eighteen from uh, from abroad, that one is a bit of a stinker. It really is. Uh, now I will say, I I don't know that eighteen-year-olds or kids who are you know sixteen, seventeen should be moving countries at that point uh, away from their families away from their parents their support system what they know their friends i do think we at times have to let kids be kids um but it just it, it's make it, it's putting premier league teams at a competitive disadvantage when they go into europe that's the one thing it, it will do um there'll be new guidelines obviously around work permits and there's it they are going to make work permits easier to get than they have been in the past but, you know, if you want to sign a player from France, now he needs a work permit, whereas before you could just sign him. Same thing from Belgium, all the EU countries. Now it's the same rules as it was. Well, not the same rules, but if you were signing a player from Brazil or Argentina or wherever. Um, as I said, they're they're loosening the guidelines, which is at least a good thing, but you're just creating more and more paperwork, more bureaucracy, more nonsense. No, I'm, I think it, I look, Brexit is a shambles from top to bottom. Brexit is a, a concept based on a bunch of lies told by a bunch of rich white men to fool uneducated poor people and old people. You know, they used fear tactics and they tapped into, unfortunately, the, the racial divide uh, that exists in certain parts of England and, you know, keep them, keep them foreigners out, terrified old people. Who voted for something that many of them are no longer alive to see happen? Um, promised a load of money to the NHS, put it on a bus, and none of that is happening. None of the good things they said are happening, uh, that would happen are happening, and all of the bad things that people were warned are, are happening. Uh, Jacob Rees Mogg, or whatever the hell his name is, his stupid man, he came out yesterday and said that if Britain were still in the EU, uh, they wouldn't have been able to get access to the vaccine for COVID as quickly. Uh, for all intents and purposes, Britain are still in the EU, and uh, he's telling lies. This is a man who's used Brexit to uh, line his own pockets. He has made millions due to Brexit. He has shifted his business from London out of the country to Dublin, funnily enough, uh, to avoid paying the higher taxes that will be imposed in the UK. So... When people like him tell you that they're in it for you, they're never in it for you. Um, and Brexit is a disgrace. Um, Travis Bickelster Savala, um, since the January transfer market is already treacherous and every other club in the Munner knows we want a centre back, what's a good stopgap that isn't, uh, Alaba? Someone like Clavan that could hopefully be a bit more talented, but nothing incredible. I mean, th this is one of the, this is one of the areas I think Liverpool could do with looking at. So, like, the the example I was using was Johnny Evans. If Liverpool could find a Johnny Evans type who's just a solid citizen, gives you 7 out of 10 most weeks, rarely has an off day, 
rarely brilliant, but rarely bad. Um, I think Johnny Evans would be would be the ideal um, player for for Liverpool to to bring in, especially at the price he costs. Somewhere you know, he costs three million, but let's just say it's somewhere in the region of ten million uh, for a player like that. And the one name that came to me is um, is Matvienko, who plays for uh, Shakhtar Donetsk. I think normally he would cost quite a bit more, but he is out of contract in the summer. So I wonder if you could potentially get him on the cheap in January. Uh, can play anywhere across the back line. Left-footed centre-back, can play left-back, can play right-back if needed, and play holding midfield when you want him to. Uh, talented player, not spectacularly good but solid, tough, reliable. I think he could be a Johnny Evans type. Johnny Evans is just the blueprint of what I would want. You know, that reliable, dependable, always fit, plays either side, can play with anybody, can suit into a three, can play the middle in the three, can play the flank in the three. Someone like a Johnny Evans, you can find me that guy, that's who I want. And, and Matt Fianco, I think, is the is the closest one I came up with anyway, who would be cheap because of uh, his contract situation. D- of course, Downey. Downey's got a question. Uh, which film stars do you reckon you could coach into being functional footballers? Me. Um, well, as you know, Trevor, I, I, I take a, a hard line with these things and I'm not, you know, not against flogging uh, if if results are not forthcoming. Um, let me think. Channing Tatum's pretty athletic. I reckon you could turn him into into a decent player, maybe a centre back. Got a bit of height to him. Big builds, you know. I reckon you could turn him into somebody. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, obviously. I think he's a natural athlete. Um, he managed to become a good, good-looking boxer, so I, re- I reckon he might be one. Um, Wood Harris. For those that don't know Wood Harris, I, I'd suggest watching The Wire. Um, that's a good question, Trev. But it's no, it's it's a downy question, but it's a funny question. Um, I'll go with those three. I'll go with those three for now. Um, maybe some of the Chris's. Not Pratt, because nobody wants to be leading with him, but maybe maybe Evans or Pine. Um, you know, maybe, maybe those guys are fairly athletic looking guys, and maybe they could, you know, we could, we could mold them into a Tony Pulis esque back seven. Um, you know, get some Grocks in there. Someone get someone really tall. Who's a really tall actor? Let's get one of them. Stick him in the middle. Um, and Tom Cruise, because I don't care if he's sixty, the man still looks like he's twenty-five. I'm sticking him on a wing and just telling him to run fast. Um, okay, AT seven. If all. 20 managers were sacked. Who would be stylistically a good manager to come in and replace them? Do you know what? I'm going to save that one. I'm going to, I'm going to do that one by itself someday because that's a, that's a long one and that needs some thought. So stylistically managers to come in and replace them playing the same style. Let me let me think on that one. And I'll do that one again. Um, King Majuto, uh, Awar, Gravenbirch, or Calvin Phillips. If not them, who do you think is the perfect Ginny replacement? Done this one a little bit earlier, but I, I love I love Jose Mawar, but he's not a Ginny replacement. He's a very different type of player. Um, Gravenbirch is tremendous, really, really tremendous. And like we talked with Phillips, I'd love Jose Mawar at the club. I'd love Gravenbirch at the club, or Gravenbirch maybe it is. Um, I'm not sure either of them is the ideal Ginny replacement, but I think I'd take Gravenberch from the three of them. Uh, Phillips, one of the problems will be the price. I, I don't think Liverpool are, would ever consider paying the price that Leeds would want for him. Um, Nayan Mohapatra asks, with the post-Brexit transfer rules, which clubs will be could be most hampered based on the current transfer strategy? 
feel having affiliated clubs and other big leagues like Manchester City will become important. It will. So this is the thing. Watch out for the likes of Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, Spurs and Arsenal potentially buying clubs. Arsenal won't because their owners are cheap, but watch out for the others potentially buying clubs in Austria, Belgium, the Netherlands, Portugal maybe, as basically places to park young players. Obviously, we know the City Football Group uh, own a bunch of clubs, and I think that's going to be a massive help. Um, Based on current Premier League clubs, it's, it's going to affect smaller clubs more than bigger clubs. Because bigger clubs tend to target bigger players who are regulars for the national team and things like that. So those guys will be eligible to play and those they'll get work permits. But let's say a Leeds United, like Rafinha wouldn't have gotten a uh, work permit. I don't think Diego Llorente would have gotten a work permit either, um, based on certainly based on the current rules. Now, what, what the, the post-Brexit rules, and obviously they are changing them, will be a little bit different, but I don't think either of them would have qualified. Rafinha definitely wouldn't have. Um, so I think clubs like that, Aston Villa, for example, when they spent all that money on the likes of Wesley, he wouldn't have been able to get a work permit. So clubs like that, clubs that are ambitious, lower half clubs that want to you know, build and develop and, and, and push themselves up the table, they're the ones that will struggle. Like, Wolves would have struggled to put this current team together because a number of the players wouldn't have qualified for, for work permits. Um, Alex Wilson, have you watched the Anton Ferdinand documentary? Not yet. I really I, w- I want to get to it today or tomorrow. Um, yeah, I, 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 it's meant to be brilliant. It's meant to be eye-opening. So I'm hoping to get to that today or tomorrow, Alex. Um, FC Molman asks, to be considered an all-time great, do you need longevity? Example, Ronaldinho peaking for only two to three years. I think it depends on how high that peak is. I normally would say, yes, you need to have sustained it for a long period of time. But, I mean, when Gaucho was on, he was the best player in the world by a fairly comfortable margin. Like, Barca-era Gaucho, the best player in the world for most of his time there. Um, so I do think he is one of the outliers where his peak is so high that you just have to consider him an all-time great. I mean, the guy was undoubtedly the best player in the world for a couple of years. So, yeah, I, I normally I, w- I would say you do have to have longevity. I think that's, that's massively important. But there's just certain guys who their peak is so high, they're so good at their best, you do have to make compensations for them. Or dispensation? Dispensation is the word there. Um, Shugsay asks, will Minamino make it Liverpool? I hope so. I really do. I think he will. I think it's a longer process with him because everyone says, oh, like Andy Robertson came in and took six months. Ox came in and took six months. Fab came in and took six months. Whatever, whatever. Minamino came from a much lower level league than the Premier League or, or the French League. He hadn't played regularly at the highest level club-wise. He's obviously playing in the Champions League, the Europa League, but domestically, Salzburg aren't really challenged all that often. It's a little bit like the PSG thing. Like, I think if players leave PSG, they tend to take a little bit of time to have to get used to having real competition in games. It's one of the reasons I think PSG, barring last season, have struggled in the Champions League, is that they get so used to winning league games comfortably that when it comes to Champions League games, they're not able to raise their game because they're just used to going on autopilot and winning 3-0. Um, for Minamino, playing regularly in the Austrian League for a couple of years, I think when he moved to the Premier League, obviously it's much quicker, it's more physical. The level of quality is much higher. I just think it's taking more time for him to adapt to that. I also think he's just been a little bit of a victim of circumstances with who's around him and what players are there and Klopp doesn't really leave Bobby out a whole lot. He hasn't couple in the last couple of weeks left him a few times, but he generally plays Bobby Firmino every game. And that's the role that you would expect Minamino to take if he's going to play is that false nine role. 
you would expect that when he was bought, he was bought to be a, a replacement for Bobby, not a replacement for Bobby, Bobby, but a backup for Bobby. And if Bobby's going to play every game, then there's no real need for a backup. So he hasn't had the opportunity. I do think he will. I really do think he will. What's your favourite Liverpool song and why? Um, I think it's I think it's the Virgil song. I do think it's the Virgil song. I just like it. I just like the Virgil song. I like. It. I think it's cool. I think it's um, there's a nice bounce to it as well. Uh, I loved my favourite all time one was the Mascherano one to to Seven Nation Army though. That's that's just because it was Mascherano. Um, was Rebury really robbed of the Ballon d'Or in 2013? I, I, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you. Um, been honest. Uh, Pete Coppi, what's Minamino's best position? I think he's best as a false nine or just off the striker in the front two. Um, Theo BK replies under 23s. That's harsh. That is harsh. Um, who are the five best players you could see moving to the Premier League next month? Oh, that's interesting. Um, Milan Skriniar would be high on that list. Um, I think there's a chance he lands at Spurs. I don't. There's not. I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of. I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of top players arrive next summer. If I'm being our next in January, if I'm being honest, because when you look at the top clubs, United have needs, obviously, but I think they'll. I think they might look within the Premier League. There's been a lot of talk about Ben White. Um, maybe not him, but I do think they might look within the Premier League. I think Skriniar would be the one for Spurs. Depending on Arsenal's finances, if they go and get Hossamauer, then he obviously is one of them. But I don't know if they'll have the money to do that in, in January. I don't think Chelsea will buy much of anything. And if they do, I think they'll go big on Declan Rice. Um, I'm I'm not sure who Liverpool will sign to play centre back. I really don't know. So I'd love it to be Kanate from um from Leipzig. He's the one I would want over anybody. Um, honestly, I, I'm not sure. I'll say Milan Skriniar is one. Um, and maybe Hostemauer as two, but I couldn't give you five. Been honest. Um, in an alternate universe where the front three did not exist. Who would you have in their place, excluding players like Mbappe, Haaland, and Sancho? Um, oh, that's an interesting one. Right. Instead of Mane, I think I'd go Federico Chiesa. Uh, now at Juventus, formerly of Fiorentina. I really like him. Can I have Joe Felix? Probably not. He probably falls into this category. So I probably can't have Joe Felix. Um, if I can't have Joe Felix, I'll, I'll go Darwin Nunes, who I really like at Benfica, uh, instead of Bobby. Different type of player, but I, I think he'd be lethal in the Premier League. And instead of Mo, I'll just keep Jota, if that's okay. So I'll have Jota on the right, Darwin Nunes through the middle, and uh, Chiesa on the on the left-hand side. Um, and that would be my three. Um Lisa Marie Hanahan asks, does Cuevin Keller start over Adri and move him into second spot? Or is it too early to say, early to say uh, regardless, do you think he stays, Adrian stays once the season is over? No, I don't think he stays. I think he's gone. I think he's gone at the end of the season. Um, I think it might. I think it might move Keller into second spot now. Uh, I did initially think when the team was announced before the game, I thought, what we're going to see here is Kelleher plays against Ajax and Adrian comes back in for Wolves. But I think Kelleher played so well that he might just have earned the start against Wolves. That'll be really interesting to see, but I, I don't think Adrian stays beyond um, beyond the, the summer. And I think there is a possibility they may even shift him out in January. If they could bring in somebody else, I think they shift him out. Uh Loser under, underscore underscore 70, whose tag is winner. Uh, who's Bobby's replacement? Erling Haaland. Uh, as simple as that. Um, how would you restructure the season moving forwards to benefit most, if not all, of the clubs? So, 
I would give clubs the option to opt out of the League Cup. I know certain clubs will want to play in it because it's an opportunity for silverware, but I would give certain clubs the opportunity. Clubs that are in Europe should definitely not be in the League Cup. League Cup. So I would do that. Um, I would have an, a slightly less hectic start to the season. Coming from pre-season, as players start to you know build up and up their chronic load, I do think it's important that we ease them into seasons rather than immediately having them having to go 100 miles an hour. So I'd do that. I'd, I'd definitely be giving a break probably the first two weeks of January. You know, I, I love the Christmas period. And I, I, I know other clubs take it, or other leagues take a break over Christmas. But I, I think it's part of what makes English football is that, that four games in eight, nine days. I know some people aren't a fan of it, but I love it. Um, but I would do a two week break then after that and then just backload the schedule. So yeah, the second half of the season would be a bit more hectic, but I think that would add to the excitement of it. Um, now clubs in Europe might not agree, but that's what I would do. Um, Dean Simmons asks, what level can Curtis Jones reach? I genuinely think he can become a top class player. I think there's a there's a real opportunity for him to establish himself this season in Liverpool's first team. I think he's played more than he was originally planned to play because he was meant to replace Adam Lallana's minutes. Uh, he's done that and more. He's added so much to the team. He's getting better every time we see him. Like he's going to have bad performances because he's 19, but he is so so good. I I think he can become an England regular. I really do. I I, I think he's just so talented. He may be more naturally talented than Trent. If he can, if he can get defensive discipline into his game, he's going to be an all-encompassing midfielder who can do pretty much everything. Um, his best position, I still think, is to be decided, especially in in how Liverpool play. But um, I, I really do think he can he can reach the top of the game. Um, Gary M LFC nineteen eighty are Curtis and Trent at. 19 and 21 respectively technically or and tactically better footballers than Steven Gerrard was at the same age technically no I think Gerrard from a technical point of view was insanely talented um like just go and watch Gerrard strike a football it just ludicrous technique um tactically I would say by a country mile I would say by a country mile, Curtis and Trent are ahead of where he was. And that's, that's not his fault at all. It's down to the coaching they've gotten versus the coaching he was getting. Um, yeah, I, I think technically, no. I think Trent is Trent is close. But Gerard was, was, Gerard was a different beast. Um, but tech, uh, tactically, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Ali asks, will Malik Beasley survive his predicament? So for those that don't know, I'm a Minnesota Timberwolves fan in the NBA because when I got into the NBA, um, I didn't want to be a glory hunter, so I didn't want to be a Bulls fan. I didn't want to do the cliche Irish thing and become a Celtics fan. So I looked to see who were the worst team in the NBA. And there were two choices. The Orlando Magic and the Minnesota Timberwolves. And the Magic had just gotten Shaquille O'Neal in the draft. So I decided to forgo them because all I had could read about, you know, in magazines was that this guy was going to transform the league. He was going to be great. So I was like, right, well, the Timberwolves are still going to, still going to be rubbish. So I will, I will go with them. They drafted Christian Leitner, um, who turned out to be rubbish. The following year, they drafted Isaiah Ryder. Turned out to be rubbish. Um, and for the most part of their history and my time watching, they have been rubbish. But uh, I still love them. And as from Malik Beasley, I think he will. I think he'll be fine. I think he just needs to uh, maybe curtail his behavior uh, a little bit. Um, is that everything? I think that's everything. I think that is all the questions. Um, I will come back to that one from 87. And try and find managers uh, for all 20 Premier League clubs. Alternative managers. I like that. So I'll, I'll come back to that one on another day. 
I do also have another question from Chris Colby um, from the AI Discord, but it is quite long and will require quite a bit of thought. And obviously for this, I tend not to read the questions before um, before, answer, before answering them or reading them out on the show. So I'll do maybe next Wednesday, because uh, Wednesday tends to be a quiet day, I will do... Uh, the, those two questions from, from Chris and AT. Um, Chris's question. Chris Chris Colby always asks great questions, but they're always really long and require quite a lot of thought. So, yeah, that's what I'll do next Wednesday. Um, as for uh, the rest of the week, obviously tomorrow it's prediction day. I'll be getting all the predictions wrong. Um, here's how bad I am at predictions. So, last weekend, Wolfsburg were playing Werder Bremen in the Bundesliga on Friday night. And for those that haven't been paying attention uh, to those two teams, Werder Bremen are very much draw specialists. So this season, they have drawn one all with uh, Freiburg, with Hoffenheim, with uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, with Cologne, and with Bayern Munich. So they're playing Wolfsburg, and I thought, okay, you know, Chance at a draw here. And then I looked. And Wolfsburg have drawn with Leverkusen. Drawn with Freiburg. Drawn with Augsburg. Drawn with Hertha Berlin. Drawn with Gladbach. And I thought. And drawn with Hanover. And I thought. Okay. There's there's real. Real draw potential here. There's a, a lot of draws between these two teams. And instead Wolfsburg beat them 5-3. 5-3. These two teams couldn't buy goals. For weeks. And somehow they manage eight between them. It's a shambles. It's an outrage. It's a government conspiracy against me is what it is. Uh, Voot Veghorst with two. Uh, obviously a, a favourite of mine who I was uh, quite keen for a Premier League club to snap up. But um, yeah, it, it, this is, you know, it's the it's the deep state. It's Quanan. It's all of them guys all plotting against me to uh, get make me get my predictions wrong. So tomorrow I'll be joined by Guy Drinkle. To, uh, to incorrectly predict every single Premier League game. And that's it. That is the show for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Guy Drinkle, as always. Thank you to Fox Haunt. I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Have a good night. Enjoy the Europa League. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.